Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. So what is God saying now and what are we doing about it? Are we more focused on still how we feel or our own agendas? Have we really learned to love and be inconvenienced by his love? How many have learned to be inconvenienced by God's love yet? Listen, God's love is going to inconvenience your schedule. I wish you would just lean into that for a moment. You know, there's just certain people in this room that it doesn't matter. I can call them. They will change all their plans. I'm not trying to come up with a bunch of stuff to change their plans. Cheryl didn't plan to do communion today. See, that's a little thing. I can just say, hey, do we have communion stuff? She's happy to do it. But see, the thing of it is, is that God's love is so inconvenient. For what? For someone thinking about themselves. You know, I loved what Bill said yesterday. I would love for you. I've listened to that message probably 20 or 25 times. I've been up since 2.50 this morning, and I've actually listened to that message four more times just today. There's something really powerful in what he was saying. One of the things that he said, and I may misquote it a little bit, but the gist of it was that the enemy wants to get us captivated in things other than our purpose. Yeah. And when he does, it creates um, a focus or a concern or a pursuit or just looking over there at it. You know, just something pops up, you know, we saw somewhere. And then we begin, have you ever just been watching something on YouTube and right before your little video plays, you know, because I don't pay that, that, there's a commercial that comes up. How many have spent any time in pursuit of that little commercial that comes up there? I know you've all done it. Don't shake your heads. Because why? Because that's, that's, that's the idea. It's a marketing scheme. It's a scheme. Do you, have you heard that word recently? And so see, the enemy, that's what he was saying, was that we get captivated and then they, those things become the cares of life because... They're not what you're called to do. Remember, I've said this to you in a million ways. You cannot solve all world problems. And see, what what we tend to do is we tend to look at a whole bunch of problems and throw a little bitty thing at it. I'm going to step on your toes. You ready? I give $15 to this ministry. I give $25 to that ministry. I give $50 over here, and I just barely tithe at the house that I'm getting all the words from. Just barely sneak in my 10%. Now, see, I'm fine. I love to give. I give other places too. But my point, what is my point? My point is, is that you have to make an investment that costs you something. It's inconvenient. Right? So it's not just about money. It's about the investment of my gift. Because, see, my, your gift is meant to be uh, executed within a family. Right? And so then the, that means the family's missing out on what you haven't figured out you are yet. 
I know you all want me to figure out what you are. And you all want me to tell you what you are. And you all want me to make a position for you. Chrissy was laughing telling me the other day that she had wrote this response to me that she found in her draft emails from 2015. And I guess I'd ask her what was someplace she wanted to serve. And she was like, well, I know one place I can't serve is that would be in anything to do with worship. Clearly, she was prophetic then. What was happening then? She couldn't see. Now we know why she couldn't see. Because there, there is an attempt, and it's going on now, an actual assignment from the enemy to bombard her with weights to keep her from this place of creative power. So let's talk about, we're going to get there in a minute. Are we still allowing the culture that we want to change, that we say should change, to influence us? Are we still struggling with how God can use me, change me, flow through me? Do we still think, will I do it right? Will I do it wrong? What happens if I do it right? What happens if I do it wrong? These are all stupid questions, by the way. Which <laughs> questions today occupy your mind? Are all of my questions more on the forefront of my mind? Or do I have the audacity, audacity, whatever, audacity, audacity to lay down my life, my way for his agenda of me? Like God has an actual agenda for you. What would it look like for you? For God to have complete access of you. What it would it look like if I allowed God to flow through me unhindered? You know, he likes to, he likes to test us in things that don't matter. You know, I bought that new pair of shoes the other day. I mean, like, I even bought a shirt to go with those shoes that Shooty has on. And every time I'd go to my closet, the Holy Spirit would say, give those to Shooty. And I'd be like, no. I spent a good hour trying those on like that. It was a whole experience. And I'd walk in there again, and he'd say, give those shoes to Shooty. And I'd be like, how many times do you think he had to tell me that? Like, it was several. Because why? My, my soul reigns had attached to the love of those shoes. Do you ever love anything so much that when the Holy Spirit says, give that away, lay that down, do you love money that way? You know, I always, I'm always challenging people to give way out of their comfort zone. I do it all the time. Some of y'all know right now what I'm talking about. And you, you get nervous because it's outside. It's a little more than what you had planned. I heard that one just this week. I know, you're in here. I'm not looking at you right now on purpose. But see, I'm doing that on purpose. Why? I'm wanting you to get accustomed to the feeling of doing something beyond what you thought you would do. 
you're not very you're not very versed in it. You've not been pushed to uncomfortability. I made several decisions yesterday outside my comfort zone. And so he's wanting to Chrissy's going to read this word in a minute and it's about un take is taking these reins, you know, I, I use this picture that Tessa drew. This is actually an amazing word from 2019. I, I think I'm going to repost it in Evernote for you to read it. But it was called, I think it was called, it was connected to a word that Christy, advancing in victory was the name of the word. I love, there's just so much in this word that's so good. And, but she said, I, I recently wrote of my tendency to want to hold on to the reins of my soul. R-E-I-N-S, right there. When I begin to look up that word reigns, let me just tell you what it means, okay? It's the region of the kidneys or your loins, as the King James would say. Have you heard the word loins? It's the seat of feelings or passions. When I have a hold of my own reins, of my own soul. Can you feel it right now? Can you just feel it? <laughs> you know, the loin area is the reproductive area. It's where you reproduce after like kind. Her word is, is she's going to read to you, is about unattaching that from me. Attaching it to the mercy seat. So it made sense to me why he was saying that the tabernacle represents my Christian life. Now, I don't, I'm not going to go through the whole tabernacle today, today, but let's just talk about the Holy of Holies, okay? I, I found this really cool snippet about it. The Holy of Holies was located in the western part of the temple. Now, you remember how there were these segments... That they that the priests had to go through. And why did we even have the why did we even have the tabernacle? Does anybody remember? He brought them out of Egypt. He wanted to be their God, and they got scared because he showed up with thunder and lightning. And they said, Nah. <laughs> but I got some gold rings here. Let's make a calf. Because why did they make a calf? Because it was what they were accustomed to worshiping, and they wanted to worship. So you have to understand the goal of this life right here is to learn how to do it the way God prescribed. I don't get to make up worship. Think about it. It said that when Moses would go in as a high priest, you can read in Hebrews 9, I don't know if I have time, but he acted as the high priest to do worship. They weren't singing a song service in there. What kind of worship was that? It said that's what he did while he was in there. He came in there to worship. Think about it. It didn't say somebody was in there with the drums and the guitar. See, we, we hear buzzwords in Christianity and we assign definitions to it that are so limiting. Yeah. So it said that it was a perfect cube, 20 by 20 by 20. 
What does 20 mean? Come on, does I, do I, does I have any numbers of people in here? No, no numbers of people. Cycles of completion. How long have I been with you? <laughs> Teaching you. Didn't ever know all the numbers are there. It don't matter. Anyway, so that, it was a perfect cube. And it says this, the inside was in total darkness. Do you know why? Because the glory lit it. This is an example of your Christian life. What's in total darkness? This is not hard. It's your heart. It's inside. You can't see it. It's in darkness in there. Until the glory fills your heart. Are you following me? Now you're acting like... The inside was total darkness and contained the Ark of the Covenant. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? Stuff. Stuff. Yeah. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? A piece of manna. What did manna represent? His provision. Are you transferring this? Inside my heart. I have to have stories of his provision. So I better have me a hunk of manna. Yeah. That when I get nervous, yeah. I'll go open the chest. Proof. He's the provider. Rod of Aaron. Had little buds of almond goodness. I propose to you that meant authority. Remember he threw it down on the ground? His snake ate their snake. Where are you going to need that? Where are you going to need some snake eating authority? Where do you Where do you need that? Where do you Thank you. You need some snake eating authority. You need to know that when you throw your almond-bedded rod down, it's going to eat the other guy's snake. Yeah. So your God will be God. Yeah. What else was in there? The Word. Better. Better have the Word. Hidden. So I won't sin. I propose to you, you're incapable. I'm going to scare you. You're incapable of sinning when the word is hidden in your heart because it will, it's a light to your path. It shows you the next step to take. You don't even have to be sin focused. Just word focused. Just where is it lighting? Where's the light? Where's the light? Because see, I've hidden the things that were in the Ark of the, of the Covenant represented what, the container of His presence. Yeah. But see, He always wanted your heart to be the container. Yeah. 
do you know that he's always and so you have to have stored within your own memory your own heart the knowledge of who he is maybe he's going to come through it may not feel like it right now remember what bill was saying we can't use our, our faith is enough as long as it's not infiltrated with other stuff where do we get the other stuff? We know very well where to get the God stuff. Don't we? God. Right? But where do we get all the other stuff that litters the garden of my faith? That's what he was saying was, I have faith enough to move a mountain, but another thought comes in. Another thought. Remember, he kept pointing his head. Another thought comes in right up here. Remember, what did he say about intellectual? He said, no, you don't have intellectual properties. You have unbelief. Remember what he was saying about the little boy that was doing a demo? Have you been around anybody doing a demo? See... The point is, is that I believe that we're using our faith on the wrong problem. That was such a good, I've been preaching on this. I don't know if you know it. Bill stole my message. But he was saying, Jesus identified the right problem. That's why it could be solved. I propose to you that if I use my faith mixed with weeds on the wrong problem, I will have no solution. That's why he said, adjust. So adjust. We can't use our faith on just the natural things. It's not the way it works. So it says all those things were contained in the Ark of the Covenant, right? It's good, right? You'll remember that, right? It was gilded inside and out with gold. It said that the Ark was covered with a lid made of pure gold, known as the mercy seat. Now, the word mercy seat is actually not really in the New Testament. But this was a place that said that it, was, it created a space for the divine presence. The two cherubim, ring, cherubim ring, wings, I knew I was going to do that, cherubim wings, there. It made a place between those two wings for the divine presence. So look at your heart. Look at your heart. What place have you made for the presence? We make places for all kinds of stuff. Favorite TV shows, record them, don't miss them. Favorite restaurants. Favorite people, right? Favorite shoes. We make room, but see, you have to understand, His presence is trying to exist in our hearts to what? To guide it. To lead it into all goodnesses, right? I love this. The scripture goes along with that. You can look it up later and read all about the 
tabernacle, Exodus 25, 22, it says, this is what God said. I love this. I will meet with you there. And I will speak to you from above the seat of mercy between the two winged creatures that sit atop the covenant chest. And from there, I will speak to you about all the commands and instructions I have. I don't know if you know this, but that's the place you're really hearing him. You're not hearing him with your desires and wishes and all the stuff. You're wanting him to fix and everything. The moment you're really hearing him is when you have placed him on the mercy seat of you. That's the place. I love, let's look over real quick at Romans 3. Verse 21, it says, Now independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come. That's really what was going on in the tabernacle, right? Since, he, since the people wouldn't let him meet with them, right? Then they had to have an advocate. That's what the tabernacle was about, was once a year, You'd get your sins covered over by some sprinkling of blood and all kinds of ritual things that they did, right? There is a method to God's madness. God is a really detail-oriented guy, right? So he had all these details and prescribed ways because he wanted, the, I believe, he wanted the people to know sin was serious, but there was a way to receive Repentance, if you will. There was a way to be restored. It wasn't, it wasn't hopeless. But see, now we have Jesus. We don't have to go through all that, right? And so now the goal is making sure that these reigns, these places I'm putting my emphasis and my thoughts and my activities and the things I want done, that they're actually controlled by the right person, not me. Surely to God, not my soul. My soul, remember I've told you, it's the thing with all the passion, but it shouldn't be in charge. Depending on what personality you are, all the introverts will nap. Right? All the extroverts will run over people. That's our soul in its rough nature. Right? Right? That's not God's nature in us. That's our soul without God. Yeah. And every now and then, I slip in and out. Right. Have you ever been choleric and you didn't want to be? Have you ever been sanguine and didn't want to be? You know full well all the stuff about your personality. I know the melons don't know what I'm talking about right now, but some other personalities don't want to be what they are. But melons, I know they love being melons. Right, melons? Don't you love being melons? Yeah, they're not like sitting around. But see, sanguines are like hating on themselves all the time. <laughs> right, sanguines? Yeah. They do. Always judging themselves. They're sitting up there on that mercy seat all the time. Right. Shooting themselves all the time with a machine gun. Not an activity you want to invite anybody to. 
It says, this is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus. Why do you want God's righteousness? When God sees you as righteous, what does that give you an invitation to? Access to Him. Okay, this is why we want it. This is why He provided it through Jesus. This is a big deal. Listen, this is a big deal that God sees you as righteous. It would behoove you to see yourself as righteous. Otherwise, you're wanting God to make another sacrifice for you. Because of Jesus, God sees you as righteous and you better agree. Will you agree? You better agree because you can do nothing without righteousness. That's rightness with God. You can do nothing. You can't do your purpose. And so if you really accepted Jesus, to Him, you're right. I don't know what you're doing with Him to get you to prove to you that you are, but to Him you are. You're good. You're golden. I have to live out of that place. It says, and now all who believe in Him receive that gift. What gift? The righteousness gift. Do you see what it's called? A gift. I don't work for it. That's what separates this religion, Christianity, from all the others. Our God, our God rose. They all died. They all, I have to work really hard to make them happy. I get all these free gifts. I don't know. It's a no-brainer to me, but maybe y'all still want to entertain some other religion. It says, for there is really no difference between us, for we have all sinned. And are all in need of the glory of God. Remember when you learned that one on the Roman road? <laughs> all have sinned and come short of the glory. That's not what it says. It says we all need the glory. Yeah. I didn't fall no short of it. I just always needed it. Yeah. Do you need it? Yeah. I tell him every day, I need your, what is his glory? His goodness. Remember when he said to Moses, I'll let my glory or my goodness pass before you. You can't see my face or you'll die. But my goodness, I can just let that slop all over you. Just sit back sometime and let God slop his goodness all over you. I tell him to just glorify, just give me glory. See, we all think glory is being somebody really special to a whole bunch of people. that Give us a reward or an award or give me something shiny and gold or money or something. <laughs> No, you want this God's goodness. You want this glory. We all were in need of it. You didn't fall short of it. That would be like, oh, I was just almost there. That's a whole different concept that I just fell short of it than I just needed it. Doesn't that feel a little bit different? Thank you, Passion. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness who has all the righteousness? You or God? Freely given it to you. The guy that's got it all. I'm not even preaching on this, but this is really good. His gift of love and favor, 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 now cascades over us. See, this is, the enemy tries to counterfeit this cascading. With criticism and rejection. It's his favorite two things. First starts out with criticism. 
Because he's hoping you'll alter your path because of the criticism. Now, you may be the one that's criticizing you. Sad day. If you're the one, wait till you get to the place where other people do it. you got to practice with you. So you've got to get to the point where there's absolutely no criticism about yourself coming out of your head to you. Cut that off. I'll help you. It will destroy you. Because God gave you favor. God gave you unconditional love. Why are you giving you criticism? What's, what's the goal? What's the motive? It's not a trainer. It's a tool of the enemy. It's a stopper of your destiny. Guaranteed. You will never do your destiny as long as you criticize what God made in you. You can write that down. You will never do your destiny. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us all because of Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt and punishment and power of sin. What would you do? Isn't it weird when people are free and they act like they're slaves? They want payment. They want payment. Someone owes them. Do you see? That's what will happen to you. Guilt and shame will require a payment. That's why you can't partner with it when it comes to your life and it comes to what you've done. Everybody done something. You don't get the prize. So see, since he's liberated us from the very thing. So the, this is what the enemy does. He cascades us with all kinds of people who criticize us and reject us. And then what do we do? Then we start thinking we're wrong. So then we alter. Right? We alter ourselves to do something outside our destiny. And then it doesn't pay off and we say, well, God, why aren't you blessing these decisions I have made that I did not consult you at all? He's like, well, that's the cascading of the guilt and punishment. It can never be paid. Are you following me at all? It says, but Jesus, Jesus's God given destiny was to be sacrificed to take away sins. And now he's our mercy seat. Who? He's our mercy seat. Let's listen to the passion guy, shall we? The mercy seat is the word is the word for sacrificial redemptive work of Jesus. What does that mean? Redemptive. What does redeem mean? Re. Right? Redeem. So I have you were lost in sin. Right? Because you were born. I'm sorry. I know it messes some of y'all up. You were born into a world of sin. You need a savior at some point. Right? So he redeemed you. You've been, this is the plan of God. Don't get messed up in his plan. See, you'll never enjoy, I enjoy life so much because I just enjoy the plan. 
I don't sit around and go, well, why was there sin? Why did, why did that have to happen? And why did he let that happen? And why didn't he stop that? And is, is anybody doing that? Because that is such a waste of time. This is life. And he gave you all the tools to do this, alive, this life amazingly with him. To make a bunch of somethings out of nothings. Since the mercy seat was the lid to the Ark of the Covenant, which was carried throughout the wilderness for 40 years and finally found a home in Jerusalem in the temple. It says the blood of mercy was sprinkled on the mercy seat for a place of satisfaction yearly on the Day of Atonement, which covered the sins of the people until Jesus, say Jesus, Jesus. say Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. sprinkled his blood, I could do it, his blood on the mercy seat in the heavens. This is a fake voice. The mercy seat <laughs> was not seen by the people. Only the high priest went into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat. Yet Jesus was publicly offered as a satisfaction for sin's consequences. says, now he's our mercy seat because of his death on the cross. Oh my gosh, that's just so exciting to me. Like that's what I'm, that's what Chrissy, when she reads this word, that's what she's trying to get us to do today, to attach these reins that we actually have personal control over if we want to a different location. She's going to describe it really well. I'm almost done. We come to him for mercy, for God has made provision for us to be forgiven by the faith in the, in the sacred blood of Jesus. This is the perfect demonstration of God's justice because until now he had been so patient holding back his justice out of his tolerance for us. So he covered over the sins of those who lived prior to Jesus' sacrifice. And when the season of tolerance came to an end, there was only one possible way for God to give away his righteousness and still be true to both his justice and his mercy. Yes. Yes. Do, do you understand that about God? He has to be true to God. Yes. He can't. God has, unlike us, God has no ability to work outside his character. And so what he's trying to help us do, I wish you could hear me today, he's trying to help us align our character with his character because that's what creates abundance for us here on earth. And so all the ways that God speaks to Christy to describe all these ways that she goes through and she triumphs over that and has victory because he's showing us a demonstration of what someone on earth can do to lay down their own way that wasn't Yahweh's way to actually participate in his way. So it says, he offered up his own son. So now, because we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, God declares us righteous in his eyes. Come on. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Wow. Okay, well... As Tisa mentioned, there were the Holy Spirit's been speaking from multiple angles. You know, I'm a as an introvert and a melon. I'm I'm a very linear thinker. You know, so I'm always, I go on one road. Uh, Tisa, being an extrovert, she'll she'll approach things from all different angles, and you know, it's an adjustment. Holy Spirit has been having an extrovert time this past week or so. 
He's been speaking from all sorts of different angles, and I'm just looking around like, does this all go together? Are we on a road? What road is this? And <laughs> so I'm going to attempt to bring a few pieces of the puzzle together. Um, but there is simply, I'll have to say, there's just a lot to this. There's a lot that the Holy Spirit is saying right now. And of course, we know from the previous words and previous messages that he's trying to help us level up and help us be in a position to just like we leveled up um, a few months back just so that he could pour this word out. He knows that we wouldn't have been able to retain it or understand it if we hadn't leveled up a couple months ago. So he's doing the same thing today. And he's showing us a way to level up for what's coming in the future. And so I think I'll start with um, the dream that Tisa mentioned. I actually wrote this word on July 10th, uh, which was a Saturday, which crazy enough is it's the date of Bill's message on the podcast. I don't know if he did it on Saturday or Sunday, but they dated it July 10th. So I wrote this word and Bill preached this message on the mountain of unbelief and talking about the garden and the seeds that Tisa has been referencing on the same day. And they, they complement each other in an interesting way. And we didn't even hear the message, of course, until a few days after that. So, um, but then I had this dream also, I think it was on Tuesday night, I had this dream. So I think I'll start there. But in the dream, um, first I saw someone who in, in real life is high up in the media, in the media mountain. If I said his name, you would know it, but I just don't really want to say his name. But almost everyone would know who this man is. And he um, is, I would say he represented somebody who's very influential in the media, on the media mountain. And in the dream, he was just started to act a fake way. He just started to be fake. And it wasn't any big deal to him that he was acting like somebody that he wasn't. And I would say that that represented, he was basically doing whatever the current popular culture theme or agenda was, he was like, all right, I'll do that. I'll do that now. And so he just adapted like it was nothing and and he was being fake. And then I had this other dream with Queen Elizabeth in it. And I, uh, these were all back to back little snippet dream snippets. And so I would say Queen Elizabeth represented somebody also of great influence on culture. Um, They have authority they have a maybe financial um, success and a leader in that area. Um, there's all sorts of influence there. And of course, somewhat the political um, as the queen. And there was this whole thing that played out with her in my dream, but also where she, it was coming out that it was quite um, common for them to use like a, a double to represent her. And so I have no idea if she does that in real life. I don't have no idea. This is not a commentary on that. But in my dream, she was like, well, you remember you had so-and-so just stand in for you over here and so-and-so went for you there. And so it was another instance of fakeness, okay, and to meet whatever the needs were of the culture in that moment that she had um, allowed someone else to stand in for her that wasn't her. And then I had this dream with Trump. And in the dream, Trump was on the second floor of a mall, which to me also represents popular culture. 
you could say, right? It's going to have all the popular stuff that's being sold right now. So in a mall, he was up on the second floor and I was down on the first floor and I was looking up and I could see that he had been detained by some people and they were people that worked there. So these were people who were working in popular culture. Okay. This is where they did their business and he was being detained and kept from doing his purpose, what he was called to do. And eventually they, they tied his hands to this bar and they, they had him in this, in this awkward position that was trying to bend his back backwards and it was putting a strain on his shoulders. And so his back, I think a back represents somebody's strength and the shoulders, I would say, represents your strength or ability to carry the mantle. And so they were, t they tied his hands, put a strain on his shoulders and were trying to bend his back backwards. And when I saw that that's what they were doing in my dream, I just bowed my head for a quick second and I said, oh, set him free. I prayed, just set him free. And as soon as I lifted my head up and I just looked down and looked back up, a, nut, some, a girl who worked in that store was cutting him loose and setting him free. And everything that was going on to detain him was over. Just like that. So I was really excited and I ran up the stairs. I was so surprised that my, my prayer had been effective before I could even finish the words, basically. And I ran upstairs and I gave him this big hug. And I, when I hugged him, I, I was like, wow, he, this is a solid man. I mean, like he was solid. Everything about him was solid. And I was concerned that maybe he had been really hurt. You know, he's an older guy and he was in this weird position being, being tied up. And he was like, it was nothing. It didn't hurt his shoulders. It didn't hurt his back. It was nothing. He was so, so solid and strong. And so he, of course, was free then to then do his purpose. So the reason this dream ties in with what we're talking about today and what I'm about to read is that this idea of popular culture, popular culture in the first two examples, we're influencing these leaders to be fake and just adjust to the popular agenda. But the popular culture was also detaining someone who was solid and had a mantle of truth and was pursuing his God-given purpose. And he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, faking anything for anyone. And of course, then a, a simple prayer influenced someone who worked there to cut him loose. And so somebody who works currently in the, in the, the realm, in the, the places of influence that are of popular culture present day is someone who you could say was riding the fence. Okay. And they were riding the fence because they worked there. So they were, they were cooperating with the popular culture and they were investing their time and money and all that stuff there. But something convicted them to, to do the right thing in that moment when someone prayed. So I would say that was a person with a culture in their own heart that was a mixture. That think of what Bill said in that message. They had more than competing thoughts. They had belief, but unbelief. They had multiple voices within them. But the prayers of a righteous person convicted them in that moment and set them free to do something powerful. 
So I feel like obviously this dream is uh, that dream makes you think about present day uh, situations and all that's going on in, in our in our country and our world um, and how important it is for people to have the presence of mind to pray, first of all, when they see what's happening, to convict someone who is double minded and who has a mixed culture in their heart. And so, of course, you can see how that goes along with Bill's message. So now I'm going to segue a little bit to this word, see if you can track with me. And we're probably going to have to go back and read it and re-listen to it because there's just a lot that this, uh, a lot of uh, topics that are covered here. Now, you may have heard me say a couple of weeks ago that I had recently experienced this period of time, I think it was a month or so, of this next level peace. Like I had never felt so much stability and peace and presence of mind and on and on. And I, but then I, I slipped out of it, but it, because I had experienced that, I knew it was possible now. So on this last Saturday, I was, um, started off writing here because I'm noticing that I am not in that place. I'm not where I, I tasted it and I'm not there and I want to be. And so I was experiencing lots of fear, just all sorts of stuff, just bombarding me. And so I'm going to start reading there. Okay. Now, one of the things that's, that's been happening for me when I'm writing these words is I'm just processing, you know, this is, I like to share and be, just be vulnerable. This is my process. This is what happened, how it, how it rolled out. And what happens for me sometimes is that I'll start writing what the Holy Spirit is telling me before I even realize the Holy Spirit's giving me the answer to what I'm asking. Okay. So there is a point in this word where it is him speaking, literally saying, you know, this is what I'm in that person speaking to you, to us. But there was a point in earlier that I'll get to where I start saying, I start praying and declaring things. And he was the one giving me those words and telling me what I needed to do. So, um, so I started off Papa here I am, your daughter, and I need you today. I bring my heart to you today. It is in need of you, in need of your touch, in need of your words, in need of your perspective. It's in need of your reassurance, of your safety. It's reached a shaky state with shadows and fear and doubt lurking about. I need you today, Father. I love all the ways you've come to me and comforted me. I love all the ways you've spoken and taught and led me. I know you are teaching and training me now, even in this, probably to hear your voice in new ways or to strengthen my stance, even when I can't hear you. But I need you however you want to come, however you want to speak. I need you. You are the only thing that will calm this heart of mine. You are the only one who can steady me and the ground beneath my feet. I know that it's you I need. Nothing else will satisfy or redeem me. Papa, I want so much to learn from all that you are teaching me. Sometimes it seems to all swirl in my head so much that I lose sight of what's up or down, right or left. I've grown confused, unable to feel certain about what's even you or the work of my enemy or my soul even working against me. I despise this mistrust within me. I despise this uncertainty. 
I despise the way that doubt rises up within me. I become so afraid at times, unable to sort all that swirls within me. I need you. It's as simple as that. I need you. I don't know where I got off or where I lost my hold on what you'd shown me. I don't know what happened or which thing came in against me, but I know that the peace and stability you've shown me is missing within me right now. I know that not long ago, you led me to a place where I could hear your voice and feel your heart so dominant within me, where your glory captivated me, where your vision filled me with passion and my heart overflowed in simple responsiveness to you. It was a place where the things of this world paled in comparison. I didn't forget them, but their power was limited in its ability to affect the solid ground you'd placed beneath my feet. I was anchored. I was upheld by the power of an arm that wasn't my own. I was seated in heavenly places, overlooking the world with your eyes, with your heart. My heart was at home unlike any time it's ever known. My heart was seated with you in heaven, overlooking the world that for so long had hold of me. I was free from the snares and traps of the enemy. I saw them at times, but they had little to no effect on me. It was easy to turn aside, to turn away from what they showed me because I had access. I had a heavenly gaze so readily available to me. I didn't want it to end. It felt like the culmination of your plan. It felt like the place I'm supposed to live from. It felt like a taste, a glimpse of the place that you'd made for me and had always, always been beckoning me to come to. I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay with you in that place. I wanted to live out the rest of my days from there. I don't know what changed, and I don't know what led me away from that place. I don't know if I made a choice or opened a door, but I know that I lost my footing in that place. I know that what works against me and weighs me down returned once again. I don't know what I did wrong or if it's even something I did wrong. Are you training me in this? Was it all a consequence of something I did or is it some natural course on this journey, part of your plan? I want to know either way. I want to learn from my mistakes and I want to train the way you want me to train. I want to follow your plan, whatever it takes. Take me back to that place, Papa. Take me back. I don't want to live from here again. I want to live from the special place you made, from the freedom and mercy seat, from the freedom and mercy seat that you made for me, that I know you have waiting for me. How do I get back? What must I do? Please show me the way. I want only to live in a way that is pleasing to you, I don't do well from this place. I'm taken out. I'm distracted. I'm overwhelmed with grief. I'm weakened and taken to my knees over and over again. I'm consumed with so many things that aren't you, and I feel prisoner to them. I don't want to live this way. I don't want my life to be an ongoing, repeating struggle this way. This is not the abundant life 
that you died to give me. This is not the life of one serving and pleasing you. I want to live the life you died to give. I want to live to please you. I want to fulfill my purpose in this place in each day. I want to live, really live for you. So Papa, I choose with my will right now to release every tie in my soul to the things of this world. You see, this is, I didn't even realize the word, what was, what had happened, but I didn't, I didn't know that I had experienced this period of time where I was seated in heavenly places. I didn't know to give it these words to say, well, in one instance, I'm seated in heaven. On the other, I'm, I'm tethered to the things of this world. And until I wrote this, I didn't know that that was the difference. That's, that's what made the difference. And so I realized as I'm writing this that I wanted to release every tie in my soul to the things of this world. So I said, I choose to let them all go. I release them and hand them all over to you. Jesus, you take the ties that have bound this heart of mine. Now, I want to say this too. The way I picture this, we've probably all heard about soul ties, but I literally picture it like as a string from my heart to the things of this world. There's something in the world that's tethered to my heart. And so when I choose to to cut or sever those ties to my soul, it is it's disconnect it's literally cutting a string in my mind, okay? So I just want you to keep that image in mind. I said that um Jesus, you take the ties that have bound this heart of mine. I've tried to discern which ones had gold. Which ties had gold? And I tried to cling to the ones that I thought you wanted me to keep. But I know so many of them were actually made on my own. They began with power in my own hands instead of yours. I don't know if these hands were totally in control or if they were in part part of your plan, but I know I tainted the process with the mixture of my own control my own reasoning, my own understanding. I thought this was the way to go. I I thought it was the way things worked. I thought you wanted me to use this understanding and self-control. I thought I gave it all to you, for you. I thought I surrendered it all to you, but I sense that's not completely true. I sense I didn't understand the depth you wanted to go. I sensed that I thought that there was a part of me just by nature that I had to keep under my control. But I think you made it simpler than that. I think you only needed one thing. I think you only needed my choice, not my reasoning or understanding. So, Papa, I surrender once again. I turn it all over to you into your capable hands. I give you permission with the power of my choice for you to completely remake and remold me. I choose with my will to sever the ties in my soul to this world. I ask you, Jesus, to take them all. Take them and do with them what you wish. I don't want to be tethered to this world by anything of my own making or own understanding. 
I want to live tethered to you in heaven and you alone. So I give them all over to you, all of these strings. I give them as reins into your hands. This is where the reins first came in. I give them as reins into your hands. Right now, Jesus, you take all the control. You have my permission, my choice to call all the shots however you want. I surrender it all. Tether my heart to the the way you intended it to be tethered. Forgive me for all that I tethered to me with the freedom that you gave me. Forgive me for all that I tethered to me with the freedom that you gave me. I surrender it all. Tether my heart to yours, to the mercy seat, to the place you went and made for me. Tether me and my soul and spirit forever to your heavenly throne. And Papa said, daughter, son, your tender and responsive heart is a delight to me. I love and adore your passion and your depth of feeling. Daughter, son, I have been with you all along. Even when you didn't know me, I was with you, watching, adoring, protecting, and providing. I supplied you with heavenly resources and angelic protection. I have surely been with you all this time. And yes, I have provided for you many, many good things along the way. You were being led by me and empowered by me, even in your partial submission to me. I am a good, good father with a tenderness for my daughter, for my son, that I could never forget. I surely provided many, many good things for you in your life along this path throughout your journey. Some you noticed my handprint on, but others you thought were just a result of your own good choices. Now I have to stop and make sure you're with me here. If you caught what I said just earlier is that I looked at the things in my life that were tethered to me and I thought, well, that one probably came from God, so I should keep that one. Right? That looks like a God thing and that was a blessing, so I should keep it. So I'm not going to cut that tie. That's what I did. Or I thought, well, I know I made this one, but God can use that. So I'm not going to cut that tie either. And surely God wouldn't want me to do that because that would just be against his nature. He wouldn't want me to cut that tie. That would just be against his nature. So I didn't cut that. So here he's saying is, yes, it's true. I've provided good things for you along the way. Yes, I've blessed you at various times. And yes, I can redeem those things. Yes, it's true. I've provided for you along the way, even when you had your own self in the mix. He says, you have correctly identified the issue at hand today. The downfall, the sad result of man's ways of this entire line of thinking with human reasoning and understanding is that it results in tremendous pressure and weight to maintain. It fuels the need for control. It fuels the need for control. 
So the mixture within your own soul of not knowing if it came from me or your own good reasoning holds you captive to the need to maintain. So my my reasoning about, well, that, that came from God, so I'm not going to cut that tie, that holds me captive to my need to maintain that thing. He said it binds you forever to your own human reasoning apart from me. This is the snare that catches your foot and turns, turns your gaze away from me. He says, yes, you've done well to ask the question of what is good, what is evil, of what I would approve of or what would disappoint me. But there is a difference between getting my heart on a matter and allowing me to remake it altogether. When you ask for my heart on something built on your own, you are really asking me to endorse your continued maintenance of it. You're really asking me to endorse your continued maintenance of it. You are asking me for permission to continue your own cultivation and protection of what you built. Many things you built are redeemable, and many of these are even valuable for my kingdom. But the degree to which you hang on to them, which means not cutting them, the degree to which you hang on to them will determine the degree to which you are tethered to the independence of soul with which you built them. This keeps you tethered to the very thing you cry out to be free from. That's what happened in me. I, I experienced this incredible month that was so awesome. And but I and then I and then I got tethered tangled up in something again and I was tethered once again to this worldly perspective from being here looking out instead of up there looking looking down and so he's saying the thing that kept that re-tethered me is my my unwillingness to cut some of these strings because I'm forever going to be tethered to the maintenance of those things and so that's the deal break that's what that's what shifts you and robs you of having this incredible perspective and place to live from. He said that the freedom you seek comes with your choice to sever the ties you've sewn into your soul on your own. Each string is a rein on your heart that controls which way it turns and which way it goes. If you want to live untethered to the things of this world, you must hand these reins completely over to me. This only comes with the choice of severing. Now, I want to share my, my the picture the way I saw it, okay, at this point. Tessa wrote, uh, drew a, a great picture recently in one of the words, the real freedom, let real freedom ring handout that we had and it was of the heart the garden in someone's heart right there's lots of we talk about that a lot so the garden and of course bill just talked about it the other day right and his message was about these different seeds that are planted so there's there's a mixture there the way i was seeing this is that the seeds that i planted or the seeds that the culture around me planted 
that was the popular culture of the time or the, the atmosphere I grew up in or any of those things. Those seeds, it's as if there was a string tied to the seed, tethered to this earth, tethered to the ground. It's planted in my heart and it's growing. Okay, but it's tethered here because I haven't severed that tie. And so the picture I was seeing is that the things that I decided on my own were worthwhile, were worthy of keeping, and that God would want me to keep. I didn't cut the tie. So that means that string that is a rein that's tethered back into my own hands. It's tethered to me and how I function here on earth. And so that means I control which way I go. I control when that when something pops up and this that's related to that particular seed, it tugs on me and I go. But he's saying you have to cut those ties, hand them as reins back over to him. So picture that the seeds, the mixture of the garden in your heart, just like Bill described, that there's a string attached to each seed. It doesn't matter how long it's been growing there or how deeply planted it is. There's a string that you have the power to choose to cut. You have, to, you have the power to say, I will give these reins over to you. Or you can choose to keep them. And you'll be tethered to the things of this world for as long as you are, as long as you do that. But if you give him this, the, the reins, he has the power and ability, of course, to just uproot it. So that's how he partners with us in this process that Bill was talking about. So Papa said, you see, it's not really your job to determine which things to keep and which things I will, I will redeem. You have mistakenly done this job for me. You have determined which things are redeemable and valuable to me. In so doing, you've allowed the strings to remain tethered to your own reasoning. It's my job to determine what to redeem and what to keep. These strings, these reins must all be handed over to me. I will determine which things I want tethered to your soul. When you hand these reins over to me, I tether the ones I want to keep to my throne and the mercy seat. This way, the redeemed is always mine to maintain, mine to protect, mine to speak over, mine to direct. Now, this is a big part here. This is really important. He knows that we need this. He says, you can trust me with this. You can trust me with the reins. You can trust me. You can trust that I know which things bore my handprint in your past. Which of these things are valuable to my kingdom, to your purpose, to my plans? I do not consider this lightly, my child. I know full well the depth of their connection in your heart. I know how deeply they pull and tug on your soul. I know their value and how much they're treasured by you. You can trust me to maintain these tethers. You won't lose the treasures. Okay, those things that you're like, oh man, I want to keep this so bad. I don't want to cut this tie because what if he takes it from me? What if he says you're not supposed to keep that, that thing? And it's really special and precious to you. 
He's saying, you can trust me with that. He said, you can trust me to maintain these tethers. You won't lose the treasures. You'll finally be freed to see and enjoy them when they're properly tethered to where I sit in heaven. You'll finally be free to see and enjoy them when they're properly tethered to where I sit in heaven. And I know that this is true because it's when I experienced this in that month period of time, there were things in my life that I treasured and I could see the good in them instead of the fear. I could experience the joy in them, even though there's room for improvement and things that I don't want to be that way. I could, I could see it. I could actually enjoy it. It was a pleasure to me. The treasures were a pleasure instead of something I feared losing. That makes all the difference. Because when fear comes in like that and you're afraid of losing something, you will do all sorts of things to try to maintain it, to try to support it, make sure it's still tied down real good. So the real freedom comes even to enjoy the things that you love. The real freedom comes when you're willing to cut those ties, hand those reins over to him and let him do the uprooting out of your soul. Let him pull those weeds out of your garden. Let him say, nope, you know what? That one's growing a pretty flower. I want to keep that one. I'll take care of it from here on out. I'll make sure it gets all the proper nutrition. I'll manage it. I'll maintain it. I'll speak over it. I'll speak life over it. He does all of that so much better than we do anyways. And so this was just a really cool picture, a a really cool picture of a prayer that we have to do this. Remember, not too long ago, we talked about and I, I shared a word on how powerful our will was and that we had no idea how powerful our will was. This is part. This is one of the uses of our will. And so if, if you, and you can go back and read this another, another time and pray this personally, when you say, I choose with my will to sever all those ties, I choose with my will to sever those ties. Those reins immediately are broken and handed up to him immediately. And so this is the a process that we can, that he's inviting us into. And so I just want to just to, to pray over us and lead us in a prayer right now. But I really, really want to encourage you to, to read over this again, listen to this message again, pray about it, how else, all the ways that you can apply this to yourself. Because it's a simple choice to say, I will sever those ties. I don't want those seeds that were planted to just lead back to my own hand. I will let them go. I will cut them. I will choose with my will to sever the ties to the things of this world. I choose with my will to sever the tie to the things of this world. Jesus, come and take the reins. I trust you to take care of me, to take care of the things that I treasure and to lead me into this kingdom perspective, living from the mercy seat. I had no idea why I wrote that in here. I had no idea why I put the mercy seat in there. And then we start talking about the Ark of the Covenant in the scripture where God says, that's where I will meet with you. That's where I will speak to you about and give you instructions. That's what that verse said. That is where I will meet with you and give you instructions on how to go. And when I was reading about the the tabernacle in Moses's time, I love that you know, it says that the uh, the Israelites, you know, the tabernacle was mobile. They would tear it down and move it. 
But as long as the, the presence of God was resting on, was hovering in that tabernacle, they didn't move. When the, when the cloud lifted, when his, his presence lifted up, they knew that's time to start moving. So they, they literally, every step that they took, every place that they planted their foot was led by him. And so that is, again, what he's leading us to now. He's saying, cut those strings so that I can lead you. You won't be frustrated with the things of this world. You won't be frustrated by all these things that you struggle with and wrestle with if you just cut the ties. You're, you're trying to walk towards your promised land and you're still tethered to Egypt. So just cut the ties, cut the ties and I will lead you with my presence. I will lead you if you give me the reins of your heart to your promised land. So, Papa, we just say thank you for this word. We just say thank you for your word. Thank you for your leading. Thank you for all the ways that you come and speak, that you speak through dreams, that you speak through words, that you speak through just dropping words into our spirit and revelation. And, of course, your word and the stories of old that we can draw wisdom from and that you've been speaking to us from all along. We just thank you for your majesty. We thank you for your majesty that you pour out into our lives in all of these ways. It is your glory and your majesty that you invade our lives with when you give us these dreams, these words, when you bring up scriptures, these messages in this house. It's your majesty that you're sharing with us. And so we say today that we do not take that lightly. We don't take it lightly. And so, Papa, I just speak over each heart in this room, and I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would just convict. Conviction is a, a wonderful thing because you finally know, and there's no more confusion. That's conviction. It's not a condemnation thing. It's a conviction. I finally know the answer to the question I've been asking. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, to move, speak from your mercy seat to convict each heart in this room. It is merciful when you can convict us. So we just speak. We just say, speak, echo, you echo these words. Just echo that conviction. Echo from your mercy seat over each person's heart. I know that you will go with them today even when they leave this room and that you will speak to them in their dreams, in their encounters with other people, in the, in the scriptures they come across when they're spending time with you, in their times of worship. All of it, Papa, all of it. Holy Spirit, just speak. Do your thing. Do exactly what you've asked us for, per for permission to do. We give you permission today to do this in us. We choose with our will to sever the ties to the things of this world. And we ask you to take the reins. We want to be seated in heavenly places and to live out the fullness of the life that you died to give us be by being tethered and seeing it all from your perspective. There is nothing greater. There's nothing better. There is nothing better. And that's our heart's desire. So I speak a blessing and a protection over this word today in each person's heart and mind. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to just breathe on it, breathe on it, breathe on it, breathe on it. Just keep breathing on it. See it through to its completion. See it through to its completion. It's, I thank you for your word that says that you will not stop you will continue to perfect it until the day comes that it's done. You will continue to perfect it. So we call on that word. We call on that as a promise. And we say, continue to perfect it in me. Continue to perfect it in us. 
So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you that, that you paid the redemption price for us on the mercy seat so that we could be reconnected with the Father, that we could be reconnected with the entire Godhead the way that you always intended us to. Thank you for making it possible that with just one simple prayer, a choice in our will, it's all, all it takes is a choice. You said it's just a choice. You don't need our, our understanding. You don't need our reasoning. All it takes is a choice. So thank you, Jesus, that you made it possible for our one choice to be so powerful that it could immediately reconnect us with heaven's perspective. So we thank you. We love you. We love you. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Holy Spirit. We bless you, Father God. We love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you for being our warrior team. We just give you all praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.